My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to have things to say here. And this is Burn Noticed, where sometimes we repeat things because we're bad at intros. A weekly rewatch of USA Television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we'll be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end, where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone in involved at all in burn notice, please get in touch. You can connect us, send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind to us two stroke pals at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. And as always, that is burn noticed with a D. Because it's the name of our podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast. Oh the podcast God. that we do. The podcast that we do. You know, um, the podcast. The podcast for Cusco. Cusco's podcast. This is Cusco's podcast. I don't know if people know this. Yeah, he, he sponsors it. The reason yeah. that we're able to bring this to you ad-free is not because we don't have enough listeners for ads, but in fact because Emperor Cusco has uh, patronized us, but like in the good way, with the m- exactly. money and not And also in the bad way. Well, sure. He's, he's, I don't know if you know, he's a bit of a character. Yeah, like, he's gotten he's a better, lot better now than that he, he made a water park. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, he used to be now that like, he's a swinger with that married couple. He's chilled out. A exactly. Lot. <laughs> yeah, you know they're fucking. Oh, absolutely. Have you ever seen the chemistry is off the charts? <laughs> off the charts. Because like that that family, like that couple though, Pacha and his wife, that is a horny couple super horny like that just because they have a lot of kids that whole movie is horny it's an extremely horny extremely (laughs) have you seen the documentary about the making of i haven't seen the documentary i read like a oral history article on vulture about it though it it seems to kind of like recap it exactly it's an it's a fascinating documentary it's online at like archive.org or something like i could send you a link if you ever want to watch it i've watched it like twice it's honestly one of my favorite documentaries just, oh wow it's, it's fascinating it's just fascinating to watch this thing like fall apart for anyone who like makes art like for people and like anyone who's had to like like make a movie or like it's just watching the really frustrating process of like getting notes and like the thing not working and people leaving the project and like it's very illuminating with with that in mind uh do you think you'll be nicer to burn notice because i watched that documentary well because you you understand how how hard it is to make things i mean i did before we started this podcast and that's not changed anything (laughs) fair enough so speaking of burn notice do you want to know what episode we're talking about this week chris yeah sure why not this is a season five episode nine it's called eye for an eye it aired august 18th 2011 and was written by michael horowitz and directed by jeremiah chechik awesome what does imdb say that this episode's about well what imdb says is that while michael and sam interrogate the war criminal who made the bomb that was supposed to kill him unclear who him refers to you gotta be clearer imdb recapper fee and jesse help a man get revenge on his former business partner who betrayed him that sounds right i'm very tired is what i'm realizing and i think it's coming through in my delivery and the amount of engagement that i have with this episode and i'm fine with it y'all are getting tired christine today 
So this episode... Let's go is, to the weeds. It was fine. It's fine. Yeah, let's get into the weeds. So Michael and Sam head to Tallahassee, all the way to Tallahassee. Apparently, it's very far away from Miami, to stake out their bomb maker, Lucian, a clockmaker. And Michael once again ditches a date with Fee to do so. So there remains tension post last week and they're, you know, toasting to supportive partners. Can I say, uh, once like, I am, I love the idea of Lucian, a clockmaker. Like, that sounds so Neil Gaiman. <laughs> it very much is. It's very steampunky. It's very steampunky, and I enjoy that. And I enjoy this character when we meet him. He's not yeah, as he's, steampunky he's as, like, you would want him to be. But, like, the idea of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, good, good aesthetic. Good aesthetic. What if there was a steampunk Bernettas? We got to stop adding to our Bernettas specs that we have to write, because it's getting out of hand. We basically just have to write a new burn notice at this point i mean yeah no someone's not giving it to us i'm not sure why not anyways so uh once outside of the tallahassee clockmakers workshop michael is a little bit in a hurry and insists they go in right away it's like painted as though like this might be a problem but it's not they just if everything is fine michael and sam go in they bring out their best southern hick accents to try and get lucian to like come out of the shop with them they're like we got granddad's old clock in our car can you come check it out we don't know what kind it is um and then lucian's like uh how about you come to the back with me and i show you some pictures and i don't have to go outside and they're like okay fine but as he's leading them back michael notices a grate that he is like rigged to a be electrified so luckily michael and sam get out of the way before lucian can electrify them and then i guess lucian didn't think that they would have brought guns despite the fact that he's very suspicious of these two random hicks uh and they hold him at gunpoint and they get him out of there <laughs> and it's like lucian what was your plan you were if they if the electric thing didn't work what was what was coming next <laughs> like he just like stands on the other side of this grate that he was going to make them walk across and he looks like so bummed that it didn't work and that they have guns now and he's like well shit that's all he i worked had so hard on it that was his <laughs> only line of defense i was sort of hoping for like a clockwork rube goldberg machine with like you know right. thousands of different like torture oh my god that like all of good. the clocks turn against them yes and again lucian to their credit to the casting director's credit looks like a clockmaker he has this like kind of oh totally he's got this long hair and this beard he looks vaguely like an alchemist <laughs> very much so but yeah not a good planner he has he has one trick and it's the electrified grate and if that doesn't work well i guess i'll go with you now <laughs> he claims um he'll never talk and then sam gets that Ooh, hell yeah i'm gonna get to torture someone glint in his eyes and that is the end of the cold open so they, they have kidnapped an old man. Congratulations, Burnt Notice crew. So uh, post-cold open, Michael and Sam bring Lucian to some abandoned warehouse, presumably still in Tallahassee. And he talks a bunch. Like the spy tip is about how, you know, sometimes to fuck with the people who are interrogating you, it's better to be too talkative <laughs> instead of not talkative enough. And so Lucian just keeps like listing out like very specific people who he thinks are suspicious who have come through his clock store he's like oh and then there was one guy who was really big and he had dead eyes and then there was another guy who was really skinny like a woman and he's just like listing out all of these random people like, forcing obviously them to, different like, take people notes and... that all have like a single defining characteristic it's <laughs> yeah, really exactly. funny it's like one of my favorite kinds of humor which is just a list of random things 
And Michael Horowitz, I feel like, is good at that. He's good at just, like, coming up with a, a couple of just really specific yeah. little runners that uh, make each individual scene a lot more impressive. Like, you know, this is this is certainly not Michael Horowitz's best episode. Uh, we can talk towards the end about how good we think it is overall. But, like, something that really does stand out about his episodes in particular is that there is no wasted scene. No. Every scene, even if it's just an exposition scene, has some either runner that he's set up previously or some kind of little joke that like wraps up the scene nicely so that it's not just all right we're checking with a client okay bye client <laughs> like something happens in every scene to make it worth watching yeah and I he's committed that. to the idea that scenes and burn notice should be entertaining which <laughs> seems know, like crazy, a no-brainer crazy thing he's come up with is he's invented it but yes I think this kid's really going to go somewhere. So anyway, so Lucian's wasting their time and they're getting frustrated. And um, so because he's not giving them anything useful yet, they figure they need to know a little more about this dude. Uh, he's Romanian. I don't know when we established that, but he, by the Maybe end, the it's important. He's that also he's a war criminal. This is the thing. The idea oh, yeah. is that, like he is like <laughs> he's a Romanian specifically war a Romanian criminal. war criminal. Yeah. The, the spy tip is like the voiceover says like if you're a war criminal and you're this old, it means you're really good at surviving. So he's like this wild wily old maybe he's maybe he was that's maybe that's why he only had one like plan he was like i'm such an old war criminal i got this like he got like cocky (laughs) he should have installed two grates a second i'm just saying it was such a bad plan like it doesn't work and then all they have to do is hold a gun at him like they don't even have to like hide behind something or like disarm it they just have to hold him at gunpoint and he's like all right i give up (laughs) i'm just saying it was a bad plan. I don't think he's that wily. I don't believe in this. Rube Goldberg machine torture device win. Burn notice. So anyway, so he's he's not giving them any useful information. So they have Fee drive up from Miami to search his house. And Fee's like, you know what kind of girlfriend drives all the way to Tallahassee to do something boring as shit like this? And Michael's like, a good girlfriend? And she's like, a great girlfriend. This is bullshit. And Michael's like, I know. I'm sorry. How about I don't just get you one dinner at that place we were going to go to. I'll get you two. So um, fun fact, the restaurant that they are trying to go to on a date is called The Forge. And that's actually a real restaurant owned by Gabrielle Anwar's now husband. So they were just dating at the time, but they they, they gave a shout out to his so restaurant. Like literally episode, just which them advertising this restaurant. This is like, <laughs> I mean, they don't really say much about it other than like, we're trying to go to the Forge. But it's like a nice place that one deserves to go to. Yeah. I like that it's product placement, but it's like really like specific nepotistic product placement. <laughs> there's also apparently like i was reading through the trivia most of the trivia for this episode is related to like how there's a lot of like count of monte cristo stuff and there's like an anagram one of the characters names is like an anagram to somebody who's in the count of monte cristo oh yeah so, it's like, like a county count of monte cristo thing isn't it you want me to pull up the trivia for this because i don't i've never read the count of monte cristo so i don't it's not really my my area of expertise so i was like cool michael horowitz is well read not a surprise (laughs) hang on let me let me pull it up this story makes more sense now (laughs) now now that you know that it's like an homage yeah that it's like a count of monte cristo rep like i don't know why i didn't catch that because you're dumb we know that i mean it's true we're both it's true uneducated hicks yeah. Okay, so the character Dan Tessman is an anagram of Edmund Dantes, the main character who is framed by his best friend in the Alexandra Dumas novel, The Count of Monte Cristo. Michael Horowitz, you are such a nerd. <laughs> 
Also, James Frain, who plays the man who betrayed his best friend and took over his life, also played the character Villafort, one of the people responsible for Edmund Dante's betrayal in the 2002 movie, The Count of Monte Cristo, based on the classic novel by Alexander Dumas. That's amazing. Incidentally, that guy also plays Sarek on Star Trek Discovery. And so the whole time I was just like, you're not Spock's dad. There's also a couple of like pretenders uh, shout outs because Lucian was one of the main characters in The Pretender and Jeffrey Donovan was in a couple of episodes of that. And like one of the characters that, or one of the people that Lucian mentions that like came into his shop looking suspicious is a man with white hair like Albino. And apparently in The Pretender, there was a character named Gare or Gare with very white hair. And the character was once referred to as the snowman because of his hair color. So like (laughs) Michael Horowitz is like deep in like, you know, meta self-referential stuff. We've so this is like Neil Gaiman. boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, there was a lot of trivia for this episode. Just because Michael Horowitz is a huge fucking nerd. Which we I love. love it. We love that for him. No, yeah, I love huge fucking nerds. I'm not one. <laughs> I'm a dumb bimbo. But yes, as established, you and I are both hot and dumb. Yes. So <laughs> so uh, Fiona brings them a box of shit from Lucian's house. And they're like, all you got is one box. And she's like, there's not much in there. So good luck. And she is invited to stick around. But he's like, no, I actually got to go help Jesse out. He's got a thing. So uh, back in Miami, Jesse and Fee go meet up with a woman who I've seen in a lot of stuff. She's very familiar, but I didn't bother looking up the actress's name. Uh, her name is Sadie. And she believes that her house has been broken into multiple times times but has no proof the alarms never went off so it's very weird and she's gone through a couple of security experts so far because nobody will believe her and so jesse and fee are like all right we'll go check out nothing has been taken but she's like but i feel like things have been moved and she's like i know it sounds dumb but like something feels wrong then her husband comes in his name is james and he's annoyed that more security people are here for a thing that he also believes is basically nothing and fee gently emasculates him because he's being a dick back in tallahassee michael and sam go through lucian stuff in front of him and the first thing he reacts to is like an art a clip out of an article from the newspaper about like a 10k race somewhere else in florida so they think it might be a family member that they can use against him so they got to research about you know something about this newspaper clipping gave him a reaction and so they got to figure out what that is uh sam as they go outside to like discuss hey we got to figure out what's going on with this clue sam's like not it they bicker a little bit and then michael goes to chase him down the lead and this will this will become a small runner anytime we need to do like a expositional transition scene which again great work because yeah, like stuff. i remember this scene even though all they're doing is like hey we have to go look into this thing which we already knew they needed to do but it added a little bit you know and it, it adds it, it, it like leads up to one of my favorite like little runner bits later on in the episode of sam being gross which you know i love i love when sam's gross so yeah, totally. <laughs> Back in Miami, Jesse and Fee settle in for the night as their clients sleep in the guest house. So basically, Fee and Jesse are like keeping a lookout in the main house, and the husband and wife duo are out in their guest house. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to have just like a second house you could go to? And as (laughs) some people just have like another house right next to their house, like some people just have multiple houses in different places, and that's also fucked up. But especially to have another house. Right next to your house. Big house for Brie and Chris Wynn. Exactly. USA Network, give us a big house. Yeah, somebody give us a big house. Well, Ben Watkins follows us on Twitter now. Did you see that text I sent you? I did see that. Hey, Ben. 
Hey, ben? I'm sorry we said that you had a fetish about small women emasculating large men. Hey, Ben, if you give me a big house, I will step on your throat. <laughs> I don't think Ben Watkins is very big because he was in Burn Notice and he seemed like an average sized person. I mean, I'm also quite small. That's true. Anyways, so Fee and Jesse are like settling in for the night. Fee is complaining about how this dude is a huge dick to his wife. And Jesse's like, sure, but he's a great man. You know, classic kind of bullshit. He's uh, the reason that this guy is a great man is because he developed some kind of like antiviral that got him an honorable mention from the Nobel Society. And he saved a lot of lives with this wonderful thing. And so it's like, hmm, I guess it's fine that this guy's a dick to his wife because he is great for the ma- the world. He is great for all mankind. Terrible to one woman. I mean, to be fair, like, the episode doesn't believe that. Like, the episode is Oh, like, no, no, no. The scene is on Fee's side. Yes, 100%. I mean, generally speaking, we are on Fee's side. Yes. So as they have this conversation, a alarm is tripped in the husband's office, and uh, they call the cops and go head in to see if they can, like, get to this guy before the cops get there. So Jesse and Fee find a dude unnamed so far going through the husband's computer and seemingly at the end of his rope. His name is Dan. He is James's former partner who <laughs> James left in a South American prison after framing him. Then Dan, this, this guy in the house, had to fake his own death with the help of a bribed prison doctor and when he got back to the states he found everything was now james's including his wife so not only was he betrayed and like his company was taken from him and his gene sequence was taken away from him but also his wife was taken away from him brie i don't know how i didn't get that this was the count of monte cristo rev i mean like (laughs) i'm not that familiar with it like i'm not that familiar but i know the basic plot of count of monte cristo and, and it's this. And it is this thing. Like, the whole time I was like, why is there this weird romant- romantic element to it, too? I was like, why is that part of this? And I was like, oh, now it's because it's a Count of Monte Cristo riff. Yep. I get uh, it now. <laughs> so as soon as this guy starts talking, Fee's like, okay, cool. So you're our new client. And Jesse's like, well, no, Fee, this is like a real job that I got as actual Jesse. We can't just, and she's like, cool, cool, cool. He's our new client. And then Dan says And then says we never address that again. <laughs> yeah, basically. And Jesse's like, all right, fine. I'll cover you because the police are almost here. You get him out of here. So Fee helps Dan escape. And they tell the police and the people, they're like, he jumped out the window right as we got there. Like, we we lost him. Sorry about that. But like, now we know that it's a real person. This is not a hoax. So we got you. Back at the loft, Fee and Jesse talk to Dan to get like the full story. And so, oh, I guess this is where we finally learn that he's actually the antivirals inventor. Uh, the antiviral is called HLX, or maybe the company is called HLX. I think the or company maybe is called them. HLX. Well, they keep referring to it as like the HLX, like serum, the HLX, like I think it's the company because I think they like go there. I don't know. Yeah, it's unclear. But HLX is what we're going to refer to it as from now on. Is is HLX also Count of Monte Cristo related? uh, That wasn't mentioned in the IMDb trivia. So I don't know because I don't know anything about the Count of Monte Cristo. I can't read. And um, anyways, (laughs) some in a very like dumb, dumb bitches. (laughs) um so uh, in addition to being the original inventor of this gene sequence of the of the formula of the antiviral in a weirdly like very relevant to today 
moment. He says that not only is he pissed that his like intellectual property was stolen from him, but he wanted to just like release it for the masses because, you know, this antiviral is really, really important. But James only saw dollar signs and wanted to patent it. And boy, I... (laughs) I just, I can't put my finger on it, but I feel like something related to that is happening right now with a similar, you know, amazing thing that we have developed in science, but are for some reason patenting, because if too many people are healthy, what are the pharmaceutical companies going to make money off of? Yeah. Eventually, they're going to run out of people to get addicted to opioids. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I, I really, that was the moment where I was like really on board. I was like, hell yeah. No, Crusader to unpatent fuck this you, fucking fuck antiviral. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck this guy. Uh, so when they had a disagreement about whether or not to patent the at- antiviral, James like put a bunch of cocaine in Dan's stuff when they were on like a business trip or something and pa- uh, paid off a judge. And that's how Dan got stuck in the South American prison. So. So all Dan wants at the end of the day is to remake his gene sequence so he can sell it to places to make a cheaper generic version of what HLX makes, ripping off James, but also making it more accessible. So welcome to client of the week status, Dan. We're gone the case. Also, he wants that girl. He wants. Well, he he, he, he says like, that he does it. And like, to be fair, the episode right. is smart This enough to make it like, well, no, like too much time has passed. Like, obviously, like, we're not going to get back together but he just wants her to be okay like he's very much motivated by his like love for this woman too totally but yeah it's definitely which i remember when this episode started um like and we were interviewing like this random rich white lady it reminded me of the last michael horowitz episode where it was also kind of about a rich white lady what was the last michael horowitz episode that was the one where like she had a dog and then she gets killed in a pool well, that's not the last one, but that that was from. Last but not the season, last yeah. one, but like the the last one that had a rich white lady in it. Yeah, I like barely remember that episode. I watched it twice. I still don't really know what happened. There was something about fashion. Yeah, and it was a like small all... dog who gets like all of her money. Or that something. was the one that was doing the CSI riff. Right. Yes. I mostly remember this episode because I look at the screenshot sometimes. <laughs> I was like, oh right. This episode. Oh, right. This episode. Cool. So yeah, so so Dan's client of the week. So the next phase is that because Fee and Jesse are already sort of on the in with this bad guy that they now know is a bad guy, Jesse escorts the couple to work, um, Sadie and James, and starts demanding access to the company's security. And he's like flattering James to kind of cajole the hesitant company security guy to let him poke around, but it doesn't work yet. So they're like, he's fine. You know, they got him at the at his house. So like, you go deal with his house. We will keep him safe at work. Here's what I don't understand about this episode. Okay. Is James never calling Jesse's boss? Ever. So that was something that I was curious about too, towards the like when they do the conclusion, because it's like, <laughs> Jesse, you know they know your real name, right? Like, like you you have royally fucked this up. No, I like, think yeah, it like, might be a contract, like a consultant. Like it might be like he's because con- he at the end of the episode he does mention like I'm definitely not getting paid for this job. Like I my fee, I'm not getting my fee for this job or something. So maybe it's a situation where like he works for an agency and they kind of loan him out or he can take his own clients. And so he's I almost guess. like a temp. Like a he's like a temp security guy. Yeah, and they just sort of keep sort them of... on the payroll and like that kind of stuff, but then his actual contracts are his own, maybe? I guess. But even then, like I feel like this doesn't 
look good for like i would not keep jesse on my payroll <laughs> like a guy asked for security and he literally got him sent to prison it's like the opposite well, but he deserved it Chris, like literally so a guy broke just as prevailed yeah a guy broke into his house and jesse sided with the guy who broke into his house <laughs> like that's like security 101 that when people break in to you a house you're not supposed to side with the guy who breaks into the house. That's like the the first thing they teach you. I think Jesse skipped that week. He was probably helping Michael and Fee out during that week of like orientation. Exactly. Anyway, so Jesse is still on the job for now, but is not given access to the security at the company. Because like the whole thing basically is the the gene sequence that they need to steal is at the company. And obviously the company has totally separate security from like the home. So now they need to use their cachet from like helping out with the home stuff to get access to the company stuff. But uh, so far, head of security guy who probably has a name, but I have fully forgotten it. uh, He is like, absolutely not. I don't know who the fuck you are. I refuse to call your boss to ask for your references. So like, fuck off. He's fine here. Uh, Back at the old man interrogation unit, Sam and Michael reveal that they know Lucian has a daughter in Atlanta. Her name is Danica. And they're going to definitely get her deported unless they get answers instead. And so uh, Lucian relents a little bit and is like, all right, I have a name for you, Christian Pavel. He's my friend. He's the one that hired me. And I don't have any way to like contact him. The only way that I know how to contact him is I go to this place called Connie's Cafe in Orlando and you got to ask for Nick or maybe Nicklaus. I don't remember what specifically he says, but like somebody named Nick adjacent yeah, is who you ask for. Someone in the Nick family. Someone in the Nick family will get you like his details or will tell you when to come back to meet with my friend. You have to Christian go Bell. and ask to watch an episode of the Nick. <laughs> the Nick used to film outside of my first apartment in New York. That's right. I think you there was, that. Yeah. There, there used to, like, I used to come home from work and there were all these like fucking stagecoaches everywhere because the, there was like a, an old hospital, I think, at the end of the street that they, I think they might have just used it as exteriors. But yeah showbiz showbiz listen to us <laughs> we're in the showbiz. industry <laughs> i once saw a stagecoach that was on tv so <laughs> and i almost killed uh, jonathan frakes <laughs> the connections never end so we're I, practically I, they, they... hollywood royalty <laughs> yeah we're we're at 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 most or at least we are at least like c-list status celebrities of course yeah like c-plus list status celebrities we could be on Dancing with the Stars. Ooh. We should be on Dancing with the Stars. Why aren't we what on Dancing, Dancing with, with the, the stars? stars? Yeah, somebody somebody messed up somewhere. We got to uh-huh. call our uh we got to call Cusco. Cusco's got to make some calls for us. So, remember the bit about how Cusco's owns this podcast? Yeah, I'd forgotten, but it's nice to bring it back. <laughs> Continuity is important, Chris. Uh-huh. They So now that they know, uh, at least they have a lead on how to get in contact with the person who hired Lucian to make the bomb. Because they always knew that like the bomb maker is probably not the same person framing them. So they got to find his his like 
purchaser, his boss. And so the the connection is the this Connie's Cafe. And uh, Sam tries to call not it again. And they have a little bit more of a bicker about like how it like when it counts to be like it or not it and how to like evenly space out who has to do work. And the reason he wants to call not it is because Elsa has a sunburn and someone needs to rub her up with aloe vera. <laughs> and Michael's like, Fee is there like to pick Michael up. And Michael's like, I'm really sorry you had to hear that. And she's like, yeah, I'll survive, but well, <laughs> and I liked that a lot. I thought that this was very funny and very gross. And those two things are usually the same thing for me. And Fee's, Fee's like, listen, I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about, but Michael can't go do whatever it is because I need him for me and Jesse's case of the week. And Sam's like, oh, fine. I guess someone else will have to slather aloe vera on my hot, rich girlfriend. And um, the the way that it's described or what Michael needs to do is that Michael, they need Michael's help to, to raise the threat level because James is not concerned enough about his safety at work to let Jesse and Fee like in on the security plan he's like I'm fine here just protect me at home and they're like well we need to protect you at work because we got steal from your work so they need Michael to freak him out specifically at work so Jesse harasses some of the guards I am for, like not one of screening these people times, well enough one of these <laughs> days I want there to be an episode of burn notice where Fee has a job that's like Fee and Jesse or whatever or, like Fee and Sam like have a job that's like and they have the client of the week, and then Michael's never involved. <laughs> like, he's doing his own shit. He's busy. He's at the beach eating yogurt. Michael's just having his own weird plot. But, like, Michael's the B plot. I don't think that'll ever happen. The closest that that came to happening was the episode with the crazy environmentalist guy. I just, like, want that to happen. I just want very your shit, Burn Notice. <laughs> you know this is a procedural right like the whole thing is that there is a procedure to this i know but like what's the point of having a framework if you don't break it I mean, they sometimes break it anyways we don't have time to litigate this so <laughs> so as jesse is basically causing a commotion by criticizing their security so michael slips in he sets up some stuff and basically michael's character who i don't think has a name but i do like this alibi and we can we can have an argument about that later but michael's whole deal is that he's like an unhinged grieving son and like some of the medication that james's company produced like killed his mother and as he was at his mother's deathbed he was like planning for his revenge and like learning the ways of torture and murder and uh you know he's all creepy and stuff and he's like pinned to the guy in the car uh but then he starts like setting off cars in the car park that they're in and he's like exploding cars around them like giving this whole speech about all the lethal training I he's think, gotten like, for his I think revenge. it's literally like the cars are exploding and getting closer and closer yeah yeah yeah. like the the final car is like two spots away from theirs but yeah it's like this build up of a monologue this like crazy unhinged monologue that michael's giving he has a couple good monologues i really like this character no even i, I do don't too. think he has a name i like it whenever michael has to be like a, a crazed true believer like a like a zealot or something anytime yeah, michael zealots yeah it's very good He's so good at that. It's so fun to watch him do that. 
Mm-hmm. Well, because it's like it's one of those times where his sort of very neutral, expressionless face really works because all he's doing is like sometimes like getting a little bit crazy eyed. But like it, Michael is good at playing the zealot or Jeffrey Donovan, I should say, is good at playing the zealot because like the sort of neutrality of most of his features and performance most of the time works with the sort of like, you know, slowly unhinged nature of the monologue. And I think it pairs really nicely. It does. Like, I don't think anyone else on this crew could have done Unhinged Zealot the same way. I would have liked to see them do it, but it would have been a very different flavor. It would have been a lot more goofy. Like, it would have felt more like a performance and not like embodying it in the way. I wish Fee got to do more alibi stuff. Anytime she does an alibi, it's very fun. You're okay. I have you mean alias. What did I say? You've said alibi like four times. That can't be true. You've literally said it like maybe three or four times. If the recording is makes it sound like that, it's because I'm having trouble with my microphone and not because you, I fucked up, because I'm perfect. You've said it so many times. All right. I wish Fee got to do aliases more because every time she does character work, it's extremely fun. And her characters are always like super over the top. And yeah. I like watching Fiona Glennan like get her creep, like get her freak on, get her absolute freak on. Exactly. Cause I think, especially when we were introduced to Fee, like she was already, Fee was originally like the wild card. Right. And like I miss that. I do too. I feel like, yeah, I feel like a lot of our complaints about fee plots lately have been like that the show has forgotten that i see this is why i feel like the thing that they set up in season one that sometimes she does like a side hustle as a bounty hunter that would be a great runner like just occasionally we check in on fee's bounty hunting because like it's her being on the right side of the law but like as close to the line as possible you know what i mean and then like that's something that we can come back to to like vary up some of the like very monotonous burn notice plots sometimes you know like occasionally there can be a b or C plot with you know Fiona's whole bounty hunting side hustle. Like there's this thing where like no one on the burn notice crew can be morally gray at all. Yeah, it's really disappointing. Even though he's literally an arms dealer. <laughs> exactly. Except she's not like, because like, yeah, she like never deals arms anymore. The setup is for this whole premise is so interesting, and it's like it's kind of disappointing sometimes that they're just doing like the a-team with it yeah anyway so the the crazy unhinged michael west and uh alias works and james fires all of his security team except for his head of security and gives jesse and fee full access to his workplace security uh we have a short check-in at the loft with fee michael and dan some words are exchanged about relationship strain you know dan and sadie michael and fiona it's all very loaded uh and then jesse has a quick check-in the next day laying their trap and doing a little build montage to get michael into the building with safe cracking equipment making demands about new security measures to install basically like they're going to install like um blast proof windows or something to the guy's office and they're going to use some of that some of those materials to like sneak michael in with all of his safe cracking stuff uh sam meanwhile is checking out that connie's cafe but the chef who is named nikolai quit the week before so no dice here and at first i was like this is interesting like mike like sam's not really doing anything in this scene i wonder why we bothered to even go there 
Um, but it, it's sort of justified later. Jesse and Michael do their build montage. Oh, apparently this is where the build montage is. Build montage. They're doing a build montage. And it's like build using montage. magic tricks. <laughs> they're using like magic trick stuff to get Michael in. But unfortunately, once Michael like splits off from them and like goes his own way to do the safe cracking as Fiona and Jesse do their thing. Uh, or actually, I don't think Fee's here. I think it's just Sam and Jesse go in. Sam is just like a worker because they need, you know, an additional set of hands. And as Michael is sneaking around to, like, go crack the safe, the security, the, like, final security head, like, the last man standing of the original security team is like, oh, by the way, I installed a bunch of new cameras, and I think we have an extra guy on the lab level. Like, do you guys recognize this guy? And they're like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. So Sam texts Michael that, like, hey, security's on their way. You know, we didn't realize they added new security. And so in order to sort of cover their tracks for like what they were actually in there for, Michael absolutely just wrecks shit. And then when he is caught by the head of security, he takes him hostage and like straps a bomb to him and then makes a additional big crazy speeches with uh, to the delight of Sam and Jesse who are watching from the security feed. So, you know, it's he amazing. It's really, there's a great screenshot from this. It's definitely going to be the promo image for this episode, but it's yeah. of um, Michael like holding the uh, duct taped mouth shut security guy and like doing a whole crazy eye thing. He's like, he does some think, real um, good crazy eyes here. Am I on TV? <laughs> Do you think he can see us? Yeah. Oh my God. It's really good. It's really really quickly. Good. I would have loved it if like, when they were saw Michael, like, in the earlier security cam footage, there was, like, one guy who was like, oh, man, this reminds me of this guy I know who's kind of a himbo and has a dog and does, like, gig work on through email. <laughs> just looks like this guy. It's just to shout out the, the poor, what was his name? Jacob? I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> that would be really funny. Um Missed opportunity. Come on, Michael Horowitz. So the next morning, Jesse and Fee re-engage, having failed in their first attempt to, you know, get into this safe. But uh, they learn that the stuff from the safe will actually be taken out of the safe and put into an armored truck convoy. And uh, Fee is tasked with keeping Sadie safe at home because God knows we can't have Fee around for this episode. And um, basically, James is sufficiently spooked and is like, we're moving all of our like most sensitive stuff to like a bunker or something so tomorrow is when we're going to move all of that they're taking it to like a bank vault like i think we specifically say the most secure bank vault in like south florida yeah so basically they're like clearly our office isn't secure enough we got to go take all of our shit somewhere else and so they're like okay well we're not going to be able to break into the most secure bank vault in southern florida but maybe we can get like this convoy this armored trunk convoy like on the road so to set up their heist because you know they got to do a heist sort of it's not really a heist i was hoping for a little bit more of a heist and like fee being under a car again and stuff like that that's not what happened fee's like not in this at all but like they basically because jesse knows the route they set up what looks like like a chemical truck burning because the spy tip indicates that like it's one thing to block off traffic with like a burning car it's another thing to like block off traffic with a burning chemical truck where it looks like there's some kind of fumes because that takes a lot longer to clear off so like that'll that'll definitely fuck over their route for much longer yeah because it looks like it could explode at any second 
Exactly. And also they don't know what the fumes are and they yeah. are going to be afraid to get too close to it just in like plain clothes. So once the armored truck convoy gets to this roadblock and James is all pissed off, like, oh my gosh, how how could this happen on this day? Jesse's like, I don't think it's a coincidence. And so he's like, they, they must have known right, somehow. <laughs> and so Jesse, like in a move that doesn't make sense, he uses like a sleight of hand trick. Apparently Michael Horowitz has a new thing for magic tricks. And he like pretends like he just found a bug under the main security guy's car, like or a bug like under his steering stuff. So he's like, oh my gosh, your head of security is an idiot. Somebody was listening in and they knew our route. This seems crazy. It would be one thing if like they had planted it and then the head of security finds it himself. It seems weird that Jesse, who nobody has known before this like last couple of this days, is always the reaches in and pulls something out. It's like it would just be such a small, such a small change would make this like sequence make sense. Yeah, it's this is the problem that we've been having a lot lately this season. And it's like a problem with the show where like the show isn't always good at justifying why the con is working this well. Exactly. And usually Michael Horowitz is more careful than that. Because like it's such a like there's there's so many ways that you could have solved the same problem and still gotten to use the like sleight of hand like trick or whatever. But they didn't do that. <laughs> they he's just like, hey, I just found a bug. They were like, well, I didn't find it. And he's like, well, I just found it. It's here in my hand. You were definitely bugged. But anyways, it works because everyone's an idiot. Jesse is like, okay, well, we got to think like the stalker. What would he want to do? And the guy was like, well, he would want us to reroute ourselves. And Jesse's like, all right, well, then we can't do that. We got to split up. I'll take you in like a different car and they'll take the armored truck stuff like on this other route. And we'll make sure that like you and your important research are like split up so they won't know which one of us to cover. And he's like, well, I can't leave my research alone. Like the whole reason we're doing this is that I want to like personally personally monitor it from, you know, here to the most secure bank vault in Southern Florida. And Jesse's like, oh, yeah, I heard that vault's really good. Well, then if you're so worried about it, why don't you take it? And he's like, you want, sorry, you, a person I met five days ago, which fair point, James, want me to take my hyper secret, like, very expensive research out of the armored truck it's in and then just like hold it in my lap as I drive with you to the vault. And Jesse's like, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. And he's like, Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Jesse drives him to a meetup with Michael and Dan for a final showdown. And James basically like lays out his whole evil plan in front of Dan because he's like, hey, Dan, fuck you. I don't even care. I can get away with anything. I'll just pay you off. And Dan's like, it's never been about the money, man. Don't you like, haven't you paid attention at all? And once like that happens, Sadie and Fiona are revealed because Sadie's been listening in the whole time and now knows that her ex-husband is not dead. So, uh-oh. And, al- and also, videos. like, like <laughs> James, James specifically says that, like, she's no catch or something. He, like... Oh, I must have missed that. Maybe I was taking notes or something. But yeah, yeah no, James like, is basically being, like, the biggest dick possible in no, like, every possible way. Like, yeah, like, uh, Dad's like, you stole my virus and you stole my, like, wife. And, like, yeah, James is like, if this is about Sadie, she's no catch. Rude. 
Very, very rude. So yeah, so the scene ends. A final brunch check-in at Carlito's with Dan reveals that James is in jail. Hooray. And Dan and Sadie are talking again with their fresh second chance. They don't know, you know, they're not dating. They're, you know, nothing's nothing's official, but like they're having conversations again. And then Fee says something that is my entire opinion of love in media. She, like, as she and Michael are kind of talking about it after Dan leaves, she's like... Grand gestures are easy. It's the day-to-day that I think is the hard part instead of like ruminating on that because like that's the whole thing. That's how relationships work. Not through grand gestures. Uh, Michael goes, you know who I am and then like leaves. Yeah, it's <laughs> but, weird. Okay, cool. Great, Michael Weston. Good talk. I feel talk. like we have not set up this like the in- fee and michael fighting plot. yeah yeah it i mean i don't think that's this episode's problem like no. it's the failings of the two episodes that came before not setting it up properly because yeah i don't buy that like I, I buy this strife like this variety of strife of like michael consistently prioritizing other things over her and like not trying to find a compromise that's a problem. That's definitely yeah, no, going totally. to affect a relationship. But like the the fact that it was started, yeah, because Fee suggested herself that she go talk to this guy, and she she wanted Michael to protest more. He did protest. He was like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" And she's like, "Yeah, it's the only way." How dare you make me do this? Right. Yeah. It's like she's holding her own hand and slapping herself in the face, going, "Michael, I can't believe you're hitting me. What are you doing?" <laughs> it's like Fiona, what? So uh, Michael leaves having not acknowledged that he made a great point about how grand gestures are kind of nothing and easy. It's the day-to-day that you actually have to focus on if you want to have a meaningful relationship. And he's like, yeah, fuck that. And so he and Sam go back to the Romanian bomb maker when they hear a car pull up outside. Here's my question, though, really to- quickly. Sure. Like, Dan and Sadie, do you think that ha- works? Like, I, I see no reason why not, because we know literally nothing about either of the characters. I mean, Dan's- It is weird, guy. though. Okay, but imagine- Okay. Right? Imagine, like, I arranged for you to be sent to prison and stole all of your work. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I married Quinn. Mm-hmm. And, like, Quinn and I were together for years. Mm-hmm. Would you still want to date Quinn? Well, maybe. Because, like, the way that it's set up is that, like, we were equal partners, but then it turns out that I am a scumbag and you, like, valiantly rescued Quinn from my toxicity. And, you know, because we are close friends, presumably there is enough of, like, what Quinn likes about me in you. And, like, when it, you know, you are a master manipulator in this circumstance, I don't think that you could pull it off in real life. But let's, you know, suspend disbelief for the context of this episode of Burn Notice. And then, like, if if I thought of nothing but, like, you know, wanting to get, like, my life back, part of that life involves Quinn. So when I get back seeing Quinn's dating you, well, it's understandable because, like, you, have a, you are a master manipulator. And there is no reason, like, prior to my getting set up with cocaine in South America that, like, I would have ever indicated to Quinn that you were a master manipulator and, like, a bad person. Um, because as far as I knew, you weren't. So I would understand Kids, I was master it, you know? manipulating you. You were master manipulating all of us. And so once I took you down and Quinn like understood the depths of your depravity, of your hot, stupid depravity, um, you know, I wouldn't like jump right back into bed. But like I would certainly have a couple of dates, get to know each other again, really talk through like, you know, the the, the blind spots in both of our, uh, you know, understanding of human That's behavior. That's fair. You'd both have that like some similar experience that no one else has of being fucked over by me. 
Exactly. Yeah, I think I think it could work. I mean, I you know, again, I don't know anything. Sadie has no character other than no character is the at wife. Oh. <laughs> Like, she's an excuse to keep Fee off camera for most of the episode, because I guess we had too many characters on screen. Because, like, basically, in almost entirely, Fee is just, like, keeping Sadie safe at home. That's yeah, it. That's I don't all know why does. that's happening, but yes. Anyway. So what happens with anyway, Lucien? Yeah, so so Lucien, uh, Sam and Michael head back to talk to him, and a car pulls out outside, and it re- it turns out that the it wasn't a dead end to go to the cafe that Sam went to earlier. It was actually a distress call. Lucien like gave Sam basically a code phrase, and it alerted his friend, who I think is actually named Nicholas Pavel or whatever. What was it again? I don't. Christian Christian Pavel. I think I think Christian Pavel is actually the the right name. There was enough of truth in it that it worked out. Yes, that's right. He was like calling for help. Chris, he was like Christian Pavel, help me through Sam asking for Nikolai at this diner. But it's revealed that unfortunately for Lucian, the distress call was not cashed in to like save him. It was to shut him up for good. So they shoot up the warehouse, and as Lucian is dying, Michael Weston manages to like get the next stage of the information he needs by promising to not you know fuck with his daughter he's like i won't deport your daughter just tell me the thing you're dying like fuck these guys and lucian was like you're right kill the bastard here's where you should go for him so sam rigs the place to blow to cover them and they escape in a fiery blaze of glory you know like i like how at no point does the episode ever feel the need to like tell the audience they're not really going to deport her daughter or his I think daughter. that they assume that we we know the character of these that we know the characters like and there's never like any moment where like michael i like even as the dude's dying michael's like he's never like trying to like have the moral high ground or like he's still using this guy's a war criminal exactly you can't talk to a war criminal like a person yeah it's like but i, I like i genuinely really like it like michael is like even as this dude is dying it's like using his daughter to manipulate him and we know that michael would never get this girl deported but like he's good at selling it by like never ever he's never like trying to seem honorable ever i like that yeah you know what else i, I like to say what's what are they like spy tips actually that's not true Ooh, but let's talk about terrible t- absolutely terrible segue but yeah let's talk about spy tips so there's a couple in here that i kept in because uh, i wanted to talk about them but i don't necessarily think that all of these are great so number one only the smartest nastiest war criminals make it to old age you have to capture one if you have to capture one of them you can assume they have a trick up their sleeve like a concealed weapon a covert escape route or a metal floor grate rigged to electrocute any unwanted visitors so a this is single a trick. great tip yeah, exactly. Have one tip, and that's how you get away with everything. But yeah, so I the only reason that I kept this one is because it gives us a list of a couple of things you might want to look out for if you're, you know, taking somebody down, although they're all pretty obvious. But I've never seen a metal floor grate rigged to electrocute unwanted visitors, and that seems clever because all he does is like flip a light switch, basically. So like it's a pretty innocuous like setup. Uh, I thought that might be useful. Maybe someday I, a an old grizzled war criminal, will have to, uh, you know, cover my own tracks. I'll make sure to, of course, also have a concealed weapon. But I don't know. I've never, I've never heard of a floor grate rigged to electrocute. But I feel like in combination with other previous burn notice tips, I could figure it out. Just be bad at electrical work and hook it up to a middle floor grate. I like it. It's fine. I can say. Fine. Number two, when you're looking for an angle in an interrogation, it often helps to let a subject watch you go through the details of his life right in front of him. Keeping one eye on your research and one eye on his reactions can often tell you what he wants you to see and what he doesn't. 
I feel like we've this gotten is, this before. We haven't gotten this specific thing. I don't think they've ever, because th- we don't do a lot of interrogations, and usually the interrogations are just like a table in a dark room. I do think that we've seen a version of this, like when you're oh. looking for hidden stuff. Yeah, uh, that's fine. I could see that. You know, yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. So, uh, maybe, maybe not. I'd, what do you think? Yeah, no, I'll take it. You'll take it? Number three. People tend to implement security based on anticipated threats. They install firewalls and encryption if they're afraid of being hacked. They use vaults and armored guards if they're worried about being robbed. And if you need them to keep their personal security with them at all times, you have to make them afraid to ever be alone. Sure, I'll take that. Yeah, a couple of things in there. Yeah. Uh, Number four, when you're being smuggled into a secure area, the best hiding spot is somewhere that people are confident they've checked thoroughly. By attaching reflective window tent to multiple sheets of glass, you can create what's known as the infinity illusion. And just like any magician won't tell you, as long as the light outside of the space remains brighter than the inside, you'd be as good as invisible. I liked this one. I thought this was cool. I learned something. Yeah, this was very clever. And I I liked watching the build. I feel like I might even be able to do this if I watched it a couple more times. Number five, even a fender bender can stop traffic for a few minutes, but creating a longer lasting roadblock is about provoking an emergency response. Cops and firefighters won't go anywhere near a burning chemical truck billowing smoke that looks toxic, which means you can get four hours of roadblock with a smoke canister and a little gasoline. Yeah, no, that seems good. That makes sense. Yeah, that's good and specific. There are at least five practical spy tips in this episode so that passes did the weekly case get solved with spycraft over violence oh i yeah. think so yeah yeah it's again it's it's always about the implication of violence but that seems to be kind of the the role of spycraft is yeah. to like fake that you're an army of of many when you're in fact an army of one that's a joke if you know what next episode's called exactly um, okay <laughs> number three was this a that would be real funny alias? next week it's not funny now. <laughs> Next week, you guys are going to be rolling. But yeah, so despite not having a name, do you think Unhinged Grieving Son is a good alias? I, I liked I liked it. I liked him a lot. There's a lot of great speeches. There was something, I, I think he talked about like, I, I don't think I mentioned it in the scene, but he has one bit of his, one of his monologues where he's like, you know the thing about hell? It's not the flames or the blah, blah, blah. It's that it lasts forever. And he gives like a crazy look and blows up it's a car. It's so good. It's really fun. Yeah, so for like just monologue writing alone, great alias, 100%. Are at least two supporting characters used well? Does Fee get to blow something up or get to be the protagonist? I think no in both cases. There's no a couple of cases. explosions, but I think they're all Michael or Sam initiated. Yeah, like, and even the plot with her and Jesse feels more like a Jesse plot. It feels more like a Jesse and Michael plot. Because, like, after the first scene where all she does is, like, say, hey, this guy's a dick to his wife to, like, indicate, hey, maybe this guy isn't all he's cracked up to be. She basically isn't in it. Like, she goes and picks up Michael and he takes over for her because she's that's in the sidelines watching Sadie. So, yeah, Fiona is not used well. Disappointing. Uh, Does Sam get to be peak Bruce Campbell? I would He does get to be gross. He gets to be gross about his girlfriend and he doesn't want to work. Very, very Sam stuff. Um, is Jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? No, I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, like, it's, again, it's his case that he brings in because of his new job. I do think it would have been helpful to know the like fallout of doing his legitimate job the opposite way it's supposed to be done. Yeah, that would have been nice. <laughs> it would have been nice to acknowledge that. Yeah, that was the thing is that like at a certain point, the episode was acting like it was the same thing as when Michael pretends to be a security guy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not. <laughs> yeah, no, they know your name. You like 
have a contract with this person. Exactly. It's not even just that they know his name. Like, literally, this is how he makes money. Like, well, I mean, the, he does acknowledge that he's not going to get paid for this. Well, but no, really but what I'm saying unclear. is that, like, this should get him fired from his job. Right. Like, this is, like, a thing that, like, if I'm a guy who hires, like, security people, I don't want to hear that the person that I just hired just, like, collaborated with, like, a guy that got another guy in jail yeah because presumably anybody who could uh hire jesse's firm because like as we know jesse's getting paid a lot anyone who could hire them is probably not a good guy so like yeah i definitely wouldn't want the caped crusader to be my bodyguard if i was sort of like a shady exactly like this is the opposite of what he needs to be doing like there's no way that he wouldn't get fired for this it's like kind of maddening yeah, it's very strange. But he is technically a distinct addition because he's using his yes, job. Yes, I agree. It's and they wouldn't a... have gotten this job otherwise. Like, I think Jesse's credibility is the only reason that they get in the door in the first place. Exactly. Uh, even though it should be also the reason that he gets fired at the end. But that's that's a, that's nitpicking. That doesn't relate to the supporting characters being used well. All right. So finally, is Madeline even in this episode? Because I don't think she is. I don't think that Madeline is in, in this, this episode. episode. Because there's two, like, pretty equal time. Like, this is not even, like, an A-plot, B-plot episode, really. Like, it seems like both of the cases of the week are giving pr- given pretty equal, like, time. Especially because we sort of split off our party two to two. So, yeah, I don't think Madeline Except was Except not really, though, episode. because Michael's kind of equally in both parties after a while. That's true. But, like, And then, like, I'd say in the first half it's pretty places. equally split. But once Michael, like, travels over to, like, the other plot. That's true. And then it's like, it's not anymore. Well, in either case, Madeline's straight up not in this episode, so she can't be used well because she's missing. But that's still Uh, two. uh, Yeah, that's still two. That's all four. That is all four tenants needed to be a great episode of Burn Notice. Therefore, this is a great episode of Burn Notice. Now, does he get another great episode of television? I would not say that. I wouldn't either. I like it's fine. I enjoyed it. There were us, you know, there there were all the sort of benchmarks of Michael Horowitz scripts that I enjoyed. But yeah, overall, it seems a little messy. It like seems it wasn't messy. as the fact like, that it's a Count of Monte Cristo riff helps it for me. Sure. I appreciate it more than I did before, like not realizing that very obvious thing. There was just a couple of details that had he shored those up would have really like make yeah. Lucian's, you know, initial escape a little bit more interesting, make the way that the con works in Jesse's job like a little bit make more sense. Like it's not a I don't think it needed a lot of adjustments to bring a great no. episode of television. Especially if they really wanted to go in on the Count of Monte Cristo thing. I part of it's I don't care about Dan. Yeah. At all. Like at all and i think like in order for this episode to have been a great episode of television i would have had to have cared about dan and like you know or maybe i had to care about sadie or someone like i had to care about like these two people who have been wronged yeah and like the show doesn't seem like you're supposed to to care about the situation because it's an objectively shitty situation for both of them to be in but like that's not the same like having like bad circumstances is not the same as like me caring about you personally i can be like oh bummer dude like yeah (laughs) like not not really think about it i'm not like empathizing with them really because like you're not you've not communicated what it feels like to be these two people and i think like you need to be doing that in order for this to like play yeah, like, I agree. Like, yeah, because the thing about, like, Count of Monte Cristo is that you have to be with him. You have to be, like, with him from go. Like, you have to, like, f- 
feel wronged in the way that he feels wronged. Mm -hmm. And also we need to see its effect on his life more directly. Exactly. Because everything bad that happened to him happens off screen. Yes. And it's, he's not like, you know, he, he didn't have to cut off an arm to fake his own death. Like, he looks fine. He just looks like he's yeah, back he in looks, town. He looks kind of, kind of like a, a pothead who hosts a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, it doesn't look like he is in any way affected by this other than no. like, yeah, objectively, that would suck for you, dude. But, you know, objectively, that would suck for you, dude, is not enough to get me to care about him. Exactly. So, yeah, and unfortunately, like, while it is a great episode of Burn Notice, a truly great episode of Burn Notice, greater than many others, it is not itself a great episode of television. And there was only one yogurt in it. So, you know, we got one, but it wasn't one. quite enough. So with that... Unless you have something else to talk about, there's really no. nothing left for me to talk about but to thank Vincent E.L. for the use of our theme music. You can find more about Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. Bye. <laughs>